Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the There's Nothing Holding Me Back edition, as I catch up with three guests a little more than one week into Bengals training camp. Right tackle, Lael Collins, three-time National Sports Writer of the Year, Peter King, and Bengals.com editor, Jeff Hobson. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals. Download Ultimate Bengals ahead of the 2022 season. It's free-to-play next-level fantasy football with fantastic Bengals prizes. Get it now on the App Store and Google Play. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since... Vin Scully. The incomparable voice of the Dodgers passed away this week at the age of 94, and I remain in awe of his talent. He was eloquent, funny, smart, poignant, and a master storyteller. Here's a personal memory. Several years ago, I filled in on TV on a Reds road trip to Los Angeles and San Diego. It began at Dodger Stadium, and the final game of the series was not televised in Cincinnati. So TV analyst Chris Welsh and I decided to drive to San Diego one day early to play golf. On the drive south, we listened to Scully call the final game of the series, and he told an amazing story about Reds outfielder Adam Dunn that I had never heard. When Vin finished, I turned to Chris and asked if he knew the story. He laughed and said no. We had been around Adam Dunn every day for several years, and Scully had a fantastic anecdote that neither of us knew. That's one of about a million reasons why I consider Vin Scully to be the greatest broadcaster in history. Not sportscaster, broadcaster. Now, let's get to football. The Bengals have practiced half a dozen times so far, but two of their most important players haven't suited up yet. Joe Burrow, as he recovers from his appendectomy, and new right tackle Lael Collins, who's on the non-football injury list due to a sore back. I caught up with LC in front of his locker this week. How you doing physically? I guess that's on the mind of all Bengals fans right now. I feel pretty good, man. Just, you know, taking it one day at a time. Um, getting myself ready to go and um, just continue to do everything I need to do for my body. Just tweak something, lifting weights or something like that, or what happened? No, I just, I mean, didn't even really feel nothing happened. Just something just kind of flared up. But, you know, we, we, I think we got it under control. We got a good plan. Training staff doing a great job. Um, and shooting, man, just eyes forward. You're a vet. You've been through this a million times. Do you feel like it's no big deal for you if you have to miss a few reps early in camp? Oh, yeah, I, I don't think it is. Um, I'm getting all the mental reps I can, watching all the film that I can. I mean, the physical part of the game, I mean, that's what I live for. So I know once I get back out there, you know, and get moving and everything like that, I'll be ready to rock. I talked to Frank yesterday. He said he's got you sitting next to Kappa in the meeting rooms, kind of like sitting where you'd be playing. Do you guys pick up a lot from each other, even just from doing that? Absolutely. I mean, anytime you sit next to the guy that you're going to be playing with in the games and practice and everything like that, able to kind of communicate and talk to each other while we're watching film, saying, hey, how would you do this? How would you do that? And, you know, it just helps build that chemistry. Is the start of a camp in a new place invigorating for you? 
It's, it's awesome. You know, it's, it's awesome. Like, just being here, you know, something new. Um, this locker room is great. The guys on this team is great. Uh, a lot of selfless individuals, and I think with that mentality and uh, the mentality to understand what we're doing and put the work in, we're going to be right where we want to be. Do you have any sort of timetable for when you think you'll be able to go? Not necessarily, um, but just focusing on to keep taking it one day at a time. Collins has been doing some work on the rehab field during practice and has also been offering pointers to some of the young offensive linemen during drills. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play fantasy football game. This past season, Ultimate Bengals awarded a weekly winner during the course of the year with tickets, autographed merchandise, and money-can't-buy experiences all up for grabs. Find Ultimate Bengals in the App Store and Google Play. Peter King from NBC Sports was at training camp this week and took some time out of his busy schedule to discuss the defending AFC champs. Peter, for a defending Super Bowl team that attacked its one glaring weakness in the offseason, I don't see a lot of people outside of Cincinnati liking their chances of making it back. Do you agree with that, and why do you think that might be the case? Well, I think when you look at the way the Bengals won, um, everything was narrow. You know, everything was close. Um, You know, they benefit from a late Ryan Tannehill interception and beat the top-seeded team in the divisional game, on the road, on a long field goal. Uh, You know, they benefit from a Mahomes mistake, uh, you know, and win on another long field goal, and then they get to the Super Bowl. And, you know, it's the kind of year that you look at it and you just say, it's justice that they got to the Super Bowl, but... You know, not necessarily the Raiders game, you know, the wild card game, but the other two games, definitely the wrong word is luck. But, you know, football is such a game, such a a game that's decided by very narrow margins. And both of those games were, you look at them and you say, anybody could have won. Now, good for the Bengals, they won. I think they won because they had, you know, one of the all-time clutch postseason performances by a kicker that, you know, a month before he did all this stuff, nobody ever heard of. (laughs) And then, you know, Joe Burrow just, you know, he's got this I don't care gene in him, you know, and not I don't care, what's the right gene? But he's got this, this, this attitude that, uh, you know, we're just going to let the chips fall. I'm going to play hard if we win. Uh, that's what I live for. And if we don't, we'll live to fight another day. But I think when I look at this team, the reason that there's so so much trouble, really, for the opposition is that they have a kicker who is Vinatieri-esque in terms of his ability to to kick great in the clutch and then they've got a quarterback who so far has shown no nerves whatsoever when he plays this game those are the two most important positions in terms of playing at your best when the best is required not to say that other guys on this team don't 
But I think if you've got a clutch kicker, if you've got a clutch quarterback, both of whom have great ability, you're going to be able to be in every game. I just think the AFC is so narrow. I think the Bills are the best team, not just in the AFC, but in football. But we'll see. You had the opportunity for a private meeting with Zach Taylor. I don't uh, want to spoil anything that's coming up in next Monday's Football Morning in America column, but did you have a question in mind coming into Cincinnati about this team that you really wanted him to answer? I was really curious about the end of the game, the end of the Super Bowl, and Samaj P. Ryan uh, being in the game and Mixon not, and, you know, uh, the inability of the line to keep Burrow clean at the end and I mean Zach's Zach's point is I think is a good point about especially about Burrow you know he basically said just look at every team that plays that has played the Rams and you tell me how they all block two good edge guys you know including Von Miller and then uh, how do you block you know the greatest defensive lineman in football in Aaron Donald and that, to me, is... I think he's a pragmatist about the game. You know, first of all, things happen in real time. It's good, I guess, to be able to sit back at the end of a practice, or at the end of a game, rather, or at the end of a season, and basically say, boy, man, I wish we did this. The unfortunate thing is, especially as it really pertains to the offensive line, you have what you have. What are you going to do? It was a lousy offensive line last year. They had a chance to fix it. And we'll see if uh, Collins, Karras, and uh, who am I for? Kappa. Kappa. You know, are going to be good enough. But they have to be good enough uh, because everybody else, if you look at the improvements that have been made in the rest of the AFC, I think all the teams have gotten better other than, I would say, Kansas City. Kansas City really hasn't gotten a lot worse because look I I'm a you know obviously I think the Tyree kill thing was interesting you know the trade but you know Patrick Mahomes will figure it out it's like the really good quarterbacks they figure it out so I think Mahomes will but I don't know I I look at this I look at this conference and it's one of the best it's one of the most top-heavy, with really good teams, conferences that I've ever seen. Peter King is our guest. A little more than two years ago from his basement, Roger Goodell announced that uh, Joe Burrow was the number one pick in the NFL draft. And now here we are with a Cincinnati team that really doesn't have a glaring weakness on the roster. What do you think of the job that Duke Tobin's done in building the roster and, and Zach Taylor's done in coaching it? Well, I think... You know, first of all, you can never fix everything at once. And so I was a little dubious when they made the Jamar Chase pick in the first round. Um, and quite frankly, I was totally wrong. Um, because I just thought that Burrow had enough weapons and I was most concerned with keeping Burrow. I would be most more concerned with keeping Burrow upright than giving him another weapon. Now, even though... I think, I forget, it's a pro football focus stat somewhere that he uh, that he basically was hit more than any quarterback in football last year. And that has to stop. But 
I just can't imagine, you know, Zach Taylor sitting down with his staff and making a game plan and not having Jamar Chase, you know, to be the key guy, especially because, look, in today's football, you have no idea how long you're going to have T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. You just don't. You, you know, somebody could throw stupid money at him one day. You just you, you don't know that. So I, I think they made the right decision. Uh, with Jamar Chase. And then, you know, the one other thing, I, I'll i tell you, I I remember this. At the time they signed Hendrickson, everybody in the league thought they overpaid for Hendrickson, and they didn't necessarily see him uh, translating into an outstanding player in the NFL, uh, you know, outside of New Orleans. He was a good player in New Orleans. There were times last year where he was T.J. Watt great here. And so if you take just those two decisions, and look, a guy in Duke Tobin's position has to make a lot of decisions. But those two decisions encapsulate in a big way why this team got as far as it did last year. And they were both right on. So... You know, there's a lot of other things. You know, what happens with Jesse Bates and, and you know, could Dax Hill be ready if he has to? I personally think Bates will be in before Labor Day weekend, but we'll see. Uh, but I think a lot of the decisions, and, you know, Dan, one of the other things about about the way this team operates, as you know, if you're Mike Brown right now, one of the reasons it's hard to pay jesse bates a lot of money is that you're kind of thinking if i have to have a lot of guaranteed money put in escrow for joe burrow and i think the way the nfl does contracts is prehistoric it's dumb um that mike brown is going to have to put whatever it is 130 150 million dollars in escrow to guarantee the guarantee in joe burrow's contract Obviously, in a place like Cincinnati, that is going to have an effect on how much Jesse Bates can be paid. And it's a shame, but it is also the reality of the NFL. Knowing Mike as well as you do, are you surprised that the Bengals are investigating selling naming rights to Paul Brown Stadium? You know, I don't know anything about it really, Dan, but it strikes me that, like many teams have done it won't be that they're going to take down the name of Paul Brown Stadium it strikes me that it's probably more likely that it'll be Grater's Ice Cream Field at Paul Brown Stadium or something you know whatever it is but uh, you know if you're Mike the reality of the situation is you got to start looking in the couch cushions and getting all the money together that you can because whether it be this contract with Burrow or the next one you're just going to need an awful lot of guaranteed money probably not Deshaun Watson kind of guaranteed money but a lot of money last thing I'll let you go I appreciate your time there's a lot of star power on this roster right now with Mixon Higgins Hendrickson etc the guy that you want to talk to here in Cincinnati is Jamar Chase why Jamar I don't know him at all and I just thought that be good to get to know the guy who over the next five years might be the best receiver in football 
you know, times change and great players, you know, phase out over time. You know, I've been thinking Brady turns 45 this week and I've always been able to, to sort of talk to Brady if I really need him. And my thought was, man, he's 45 years old. I'm not going to have Brady much longer, you know. And so, I don't know, you're in a position like mine and you start to think that you really want to get to know some of the younger guys who were great. That's one of the things I do when I go around on my training camp tour. I try to meet guys who are really bright but really kind of very young stars. Um, And that's part of what I do on this trip. And I think the other thing is, I mean, I'm not going to get to the bottom of Jamar Chase in 12 minutes. I understand that. I just think he's had a very interesting career to this point in college and in the pros. And I'm just really curious about the bond he formed with this quarterback at LSU and uh, and how it's paying dividends today because it sure seems like it is. You're the best. Thank you. All right. Hey, thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Peter has a podcast, it's the Peter King Podcast, and the latest episode includes an interview with Jamar Chase. It also includes an anecdote about my next guest, Bengals.com editor Jeff Butch Hobson, describing how Jeff helped Jamar Chase after practice last week. I suspect you can also read about it next Monday in Peter's Football Morning in America column. Now, here's my conversation with Jeff. Butch, we're six practices in. You pick a player of the day every day at practice, the coveted Jeff Hobson <laughs> player of the day. Do you have a few players of the camp so far that have stood out to you? Yeah, I guess you gotta you got to start with number one, right? I mean, start number one with number one. I mean, he's been great. You know, as, as, as much as he dropped the ball last year as a rookie, I mean, he's just, it seems like he's caught everything. And then always, and, and then number two behind Chase, pick any of the corners. Because they're right there with him and, and Tyler Boyd and some of these young receivers. There's, uh, I, I mean, every ball seems contested almost. Uh, I was talking to Brandon Allen about that, and he was saying, you know, Lou, I guess, threw in a couple of, you know, wrinkles and that makes the coverages a little bit tougher. He says, but that's, a, you know, that's some, uh, uh, some tight windows in there. So, you know, Chase is my leader, obviously. But then after that, not far behind, Ouzier Apple – in Hilton, and then I think, uh, I think after that, I I, I uh, kind of like uh, the young long snapper. No, I'm just kidding. But I'm just kidding. we haven't we haven't because it's really, which is going to be interesting. I think I'm more intrigued. I I am intrigued by that battle because how do you how do you judge it? You know, you're really getting into the nuance of it. So, kind of keeping an eye on Darren and what he does there. But you know, you look at Admitus and Clark. You know, kind of hard to you know McPherson's making everything. So how do you tell? You know, so it's it's kind of an interesting camp. Yeah, I mean, Cal Adamitis, if he wins that job, would have to win it based on his ability to get down the field. They can both snap the football. I don't think that there's yeah. a real noticeable difference between how they yeah. snap it, but Clark Harris is a bigger man. Yep. That's an advantage in terms of blocking up front. Yep. And then at least to this point of his year and to his career, and he's obviously getting up there in years, but historically he's done a nice job of yep. getting down the field and making plays. And and Cal has to adjust to uh... – he has to block. He has to block now. He didn't have to block the last two years he was at Pitt. I mean, I guess Darren was saying his first two years, 
Pitt did have a pro style thing, but now it was in college. I guess you can just snap it and run down a field. Well, that's not going to happen uh, uh, against Arizona. So that will be, uh, you know, I never thought I'd be watching charting long snappers, but here we go. I want to circle back to the corners for a bit because if I had to pick a star of training camp, excluding Joe Burrow last year. I think I would have gone with Chidabe Awuje. I thought he was just tremendous from day one of camp. It was like, wow, what a signing this guy is. And he's been very good so far this year. But I would say Eli Apple might be the guy. Yeah, he's been beaten by Chase a few times. That's going to happen. Plus, a few of those times, the catches have been unbelievable. But he's been extremely competitive. It looks like the decision to re-sign him and bring him back as a likely starter was a very good one. He's an interesting guy, Horty. I, I, in fact, I wrote about him today and uh, about how, uh, you know, that wasn't an easy thing to overcome, I don't think. Uh, uh, you know, you get uh, kind of a tough deal. You get, uh, you know, they win the Super Bowl thrown at you. But, you know, people forget that Eli was a big reason they got there. I mean, how many teams could have survived, you know, uh, losing, you know, uh, losing their starting quarter for the second year in a row in Trey Waynes? And he stepped in and, uh, you know, made a huge play in Tennessee to win a playoff game on the road. Arguably turned the AFC championship game around with a tackle on Tyree Kill. So this guy, it's, it's, it's weird because, you know, he's just he just gets, you know, he – he talks a lot. He's on Twitter. He admits it, you know, and that just opens him up some to, to so much criticism. And I asked him, "Why do you do that? Why do you, why do you go on Twitter?" And he just said, "Look, he says I'm used to this stuff, you know. And if you look, you know, he says everything that bad that could happen to me in the NFL has happened. He got traded. He gets suspended. He, you know, he a uh, uh, tough uh, tough baptism in New York as a first. There's nothing tougher in the league than being a first round pick in New York, you know. And so, uh, you know, this guy is is uh, he's bulletproof." Kerry Combs, the former Coleraine High School uh, coach, who was an assistant coach at Ohio State when Eli Apple played there, then went and coached in the NFL. Now he's come back and he's coaching at UC. He loves Eli Apple, believes in him. And, you know, I have a lot of faith in, in Kerry's opinion, and I think Eli's backing it up. I, th- I agree, and uh, Jamar Chase is a very uh – He's much older than his 22 years playing and also just observing. And he had a great line on Eli. He said, uh, "He's a villain with a with with a big heart," hmm. you know, because he he said uh, he told the media, you know, he said uh, he pisses me off. He talks a lot. He's aggravating, but I think they know that he's down deep. That he's this guy's a he's a team. I, to me, he strikes me as a team guy, you know. And uh, yeah, you know, and Eli and uh, Jamas said it uh, yesterday. He talked about how. Uh, how the difference between Awuzier and uh, Apple and Eli is, is long. You know, he's one of those those guys don't grow on trees. You know, those long, lean corners that can run. So uh, it's interesting that you have Kerry as a uh, Kerry that you know you have as a resource because I'm sure nobody knows him better than him. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about a couple of guys who I think would fit in the everything you could have hoped for category at least through one week of training camp. Hayden Hurst, who's been making several catches every day. And Ted Karras, who's really established himself as this year's version of a Mike Hilton or a Von Bell, just a total pro from winning programs that comes in and carries himself exactly the way you would want him to. That's a great call. Three years in a row, right, with uh, uh, Bell came in in 20, um, Hilton came in in 21, and you're exactly right, Karras uh, Karras fits that mold. It's interesting, uh, you know, obviously Karras was – 
uh, raised in the Brady Belichick Super Bowl culture locker room. So it's interesting to hear him talk about. It's very interesting for me to talk about, get his feedback on this team. He said, you know, something interesting about Jonah Williams, and who was, and I didn't realize this until he said it, but Jonah Williams was the first pick at his Zach Taylor era, and he's the most senior Bengal in the offensive line room. That's how much turnover has been over there. And Karras says Jonah's uh, been a terrific leader. So it kind of takes a guy coming from the outside to give you some perspective on that. And Karras is that kind. He's also got the greatest name. He's got the greatest nickname I've heard in a while, Mongo, which is of course <laughs> was the that was the name of his great uncle's character right. in Blazing Saddles. So uh, uh, Mark Duffner has been calling him Mongo. And then I asked him about it, and he said, "Oh, he says I." I get that all the time, you know. So uh, I think I guess I guess Blazing Saddles is still watched by this generation, which is a good thing. Well, at least Mark Duffner. I mean, <laughs> Duff might might cue it up in a team meeting. Who knows? Um, let's talk about the left guard spot. Jackson Carmen's been getting the the reps so far with the first team for the most part. Saw a little bit of Cordell Volson toward the end of the week. When do you think that that's going to come down? Is that going to be one of these things that will play out through preseason games, or do you think they'll they'll kind of try to get that locked up so they can get these five guys playing together? Well, it sure looks like uh, Jackson's their guy over there. You know, we're into the we're going to be go ahead into the sixth, seventh practice. Don't think he's rotated him. I think he's uh, I think he's rotated Cordell with um, over there at right guard with you know with energy. Uh, it looks like they're sticking with him. You know, and now obviously we'll see what happens in the game, but I know. Uh, talking to some guys around, uh, uh, I think they they really think Carmen has imp- you know improved massively. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's an interesting question. When will they get these five guys locked up and ready to go? I I, I think you know, and when will I guess the other question is you know the other shooter fall is Lyle Collins. When will he be healthy and up and going? Because I th- I figure Frank and pro- Frank Paul, the offensive line coach, probably figures you know until Collins is ready. He might as well rotate as, as you know as much as he wants, but it does you know it looks like Karras, Carmen you know he went to kept when once Kappa was healthy he went right to right guard, so I think they're there, Horty. I think you know it would to me it would it would be, barring a three mile island, in the game you know a disaster in the games. I think that's your five. Yeah, they asked Jack- Jackson Carmen to show up at 325 pounds. He did. His effort and attitude have been great. We know about the physical tools. Yeah. So I think it's fair to say at this point it's his job to lose. As long as he doesn't mess things up, right. he'll be the guy in week one, I would think. No question. And I, and I think we underestimated the last year. And I think, you know, people, I wrote this the other day, people were upset that he was not the reincarnation of Max Montoya right away. And people really didn't realize he was – changing tackle he was changing positions he was changing sides and he was coming off back surgery correct you know so i mean that you know uh and i still thought he played pretty well with the super bowl on the line in the last drive in kansas city i thought he was terrific you know and i was kind of surprised he didn't start the super bowl but uh i thought he was good when it mattered and so i i yeah i think uh um you know now clearly he can't have any, you know, he can't fall back mm-hmm. to any habits or anything. I mean, um, I think, uh, but I agree with you. Uh, I think he's their, I think he's their guy. And, you know, you get, you get Jonah over there. I know Jonah has been criticized down through the years, but you know, he just, he's a smart guy. And uh, I think they look to him and um, you know, I, I, I think he's a little underrated as well. We talked a little bit about long snapper. Let's talk about punter. Yeah. Uh, those guys, 
punted quite a bit on Tuesday. It didn't appear to be a very good day for Kevin Huber, but obviously he's proven over the last 14 years. When Drew Chrisman hits one right, there's no question he's got the stronger leg at this point, but Darren Simmons wants it between the numbers and the sideline uh, with good hang time. And that will be decided in the preseason games. I don't think practice is going to determine which of those two guys wins the job. And he said, uh, talking to Darren, you know, he's going to rotate them during a game. He's not going to give one guy a game and the other guy the next game. He's going to uh, they're going to rotate during the game so they can see them, so they can compare them. And I think that's that's the only way to do it. And it's interesting. And again, this is another thing, you know. Uh, McPherson is such a weapon. How much of the, is the holding thing going to become into a factor? Drew hasn't, I don't think, you know, obviously, clearly doesn't have as much experience as Huber does. Nobody does probably in the league when it comes to holding. You know, he's been doing it for 14 years. And uh, I think, you know, it's how big of a factor is that? Because you better make sure this kicker is, uh, you better make sure this guy is, uh, is happy. You know, I was here, I, I, I date back to, uh, you know the Great Depression, but no, I mean uh, I, I I I mean I go back a few years, and I remember in in 1999 when uh, Doug Pelfrey, one of the you know finest kickers in the league, and had just come off a pretty good contract, and uh, yet he lost his long snapper. Uh, Lee Johnson left; he was the punter. They couldn't find the punter. They couldn't find a long snapper, and next thing you know, Pelfrey's out of the league. And but he was the same guy; he was the same kicker, but they couldn't get the ball to him. So. You know, I just, I, just, I just think the whole I think the holding thing is a that's a big deal. Every player and coach that I've talked to says that they fully expect Jesse Bates to be here. Most people seem to think it's going to be in time for for week one of the regular season against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Is everybody just saying that, or do you think everybody truly believes that that Jesse's going to be here and good to go for week one? Yeah, I, I think they. I think I. I don't think they're trying to talk themselves into it, because I think they know Jesse, and I think they. I'm sure they've been talking to him. You know what I mean? I, I, I. Certainly, his teammates have been talking to him. So, you know, you know Jesse. You've talked to him. You know, he, uh, uh, he's a terrific kid, um, and and a fine player. And it'd just be hard for me to see him not wanting to be out there, in the opener. So yeah, I don't think they're trying to talk themselves into it. I think they believe it. Um, Will he be able to walk in here? I mean, will he be able to walk in here whenever he walks in here and be the starter? I would, I would think so. You know, he's a smart guy. I'm sure he's going to be in shape. But that's interesting, you know. Uh, uh, um, it's uh, – I can't remember the last time that's, that's happened around here, but it has happened. So, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, particularly the way they play the game now, you know, they don't – they really don't practice as much, you know. They don't – you know, there's a lot of, a lot of mental reps that they like to say, so – I think he'd be, you know, I think he'd be all right, you know, no matter when he gets in. I do honestly think that it's going to be helpful for Dax Hill. He's getting all of these reps with the first team. And, and what exactly does that mean? I talked to safeties coach Rob Livingston, and he said eight more snaps a practice being with the first team, which I thought was really interesting that, you know, you can pin it down to a number. So now multiply that over practice over several weeks. You know, that's a lot of reps with those first-team guys and more reps in general that your number one draft pick wouldn't get otherwise. Yeah, I think of what if Jesse was here. Would, would he be, I guess he'd be, you know, he'd be getting the reps with the second team. I wonder if they'd be working him at corner. I think they will. I think they eventually see him as a, you know, I think he'd be potentially a nickel, but I think he could probably play. I think he's one of these guys you could put him anywhere in the secondary mm-hmm. and be able to play. But given that 
you know, they've put. I think they don't want to. They don't want to crowd his plate. He's a rookie, and uh, so they're just having him. Since he is getting all the snaps, they're just having him focus on safety. But I could see a situation where Jesse Bates comes in, and they'll, you know, Lou is not adverse to playing three safeties, and I think you know they like him as a, they want to see what he can do a corner. You know, look at that December, Hordy, uh, Mahomes, Brady. Uh, Josh Allen on January 2nd, uh, you can use another corner. And uh, ho- hopefully he would have gotten, you know, by then Jesse be in in a couple of months. I'm sure Dax would have get some snaps at corner, so maybe he'll have a little coming out party there. Joe Burrow is back this week, albeit on the back of a golf cart watching practice, but obviously he lifted everybody's spirits just yeah. by being back in the building. Do you have a gut for when you think he'll uh, be out there practicing? I don't. You know, this guy, he's uh, – he, He's a phone booth guy. He's one of these guys. He goes into a phone booth and he just—he's gonna, uh, you know. It just seems like he's got it, and whenever he wants to do it, he can do it. It's like it was like last year when he kind of struggled early on, and then went in the phone booth and he was burrow, you know. So when's the phone booth? I don't know, but I, I do think uh, whenever it is, he'll be, you know. He's just he'll he'll answer the bell, you know. It's uh, like. Uh, uh, Will it be next week? Will it be the week after? I don't know, but I don't think it matters. Either do I. It's interesting to think back to last year and just how bad he was and the offense was in week one. It's totally been forgotten because of how well he played and, and the run to the Super Bowl. But at this time, one week into training camp last year, we were all saying, oh, good Lord. Yeah. Um, it might take half a season for Joe Burrow to be good again. He couldn't throw – Chase couldn't catch. So I wonder what exactly are we doing out there watching? You know, maybe we should watch Blazing Saddles instead of this because uh, it certainly wasn't uh, It certainly wasn't uh, foreshadowing. Yeah, that's for sure. He, tur- he turned out to be uh, pretty good, to say the least. Any thoughts on the coaching staff, the comfort level that they seem to have with each other? We've, we've often mentioned that, you know, it's really unique that they've got the coordinators back. That's been the case for the entire time that Zach Taylor ha- has been the head coach. But they do have a few changes on the staff, uh, a few new guys in, in the position coaches with Chuck Burks coaching cornerbacks, James Betcher coaching linebackers. Uh, how does the, uh, the fit seem to you with all these, uh, these changes? Well, I tell you, talk to, you know, I think I think Betcher is a uh, obviously we know he's a uh, he's an estimable guy. I think uh, uh, been around the league at a couple stops. I, I remember uh, bumping into Bruce Arians at the at, at the combine. He couldn't say enough good things, mm. uh, you know, about the guy, and uh, that that means something. I think you know, and I and and you talk to people about Chuck Burks, rising star. This guy's you know this guy's uh, you talk to the guy. You spent three minutes with him, and you know. He's, you know, he's on the ball. You know, uh, uh, it's interesting. I, uh, I did a story on him when he got hired, and he was when I wa- walked into his office, he had like, he, he had nothing. He was just starting from scratch, but he had three books, and one of them was Atomic Habits, and I just saw where Eli Apple is, is reading Atomic Habits hmm. now, which is basically a, a, a self-help book about if you change a little bit of your routine, it can it can make a big impact on your life, and so obviously Burks is. You know, had had some impact on some of his players, which is interesting to watch. So I, I think Burks is a rising guy to watch. I think Betcher is a, a, you know, to get a guy who's been a two-time defensive coordinator coach in a position is a big is a big thing. I think I, I think even a, a a thing like hiring Adam Zimmer as a as like a consultant to, on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, you know, he he was a d- defensive. You know, he worked with his dad. He worked here with his dad for a year. He's been his. Uh, 
He broke in with Sean Payton on the Super Bowl Saints in 09. He's, he's uh, you know, um, been a like I said, he's been a coordinator under his dad. To sort of have him in that role, uh, you know, on the, I mean, on offense. I mean, I think something that might seem like a little thing, but I mean, I think that shows that. Uh, I mean, I think that's I think that's helpful. I mean, I think they, you know, I think they really get some, they get some interesting guys working here, in you know, beyond. That those solid core guys, and you wonder how long that's going to be. You know, Brian Callahan interviewed for a job last year. So did Lou Anarumo. Uh, Darren Simmons is, is one of the best kept secrets in the league. I mean, if John Harbaugh is, is successful, you know, and is, was going to open a door for a special teams coach, here's here's a guy, you know, going into his 20th year, and it just continues to produce. Uh, you know, but that's good. That's good if they if if it's if uh, if they go under the radar, that's good for Cincinnati, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, but it's a uh, you know, it's it's, uh, it's it's certainly unique to have all three mm-hmm. coordinators and your play caller yeah. intact. They're also grooming the next wave of guys that could step up if uh, some of those guys are to get head coaching opportunities down the road. Ian Rappaport was here from NFL Network a few days ago. He said one of the reasons he wanted, wanted to come to town was to get to know Dan Pitcher because he's hearing things from around the league. Sure. This guy's going to be a future coordinator or maybe someday a head coach. I mean, and look at Troy Walters. Let's, I mean, look at the year that Jemiah Chase had uh, as a rookie. Uh, you know, coaching's got something to do with that too. And he's a guy who was a well-thought-of offensive coordinator in the college. He's a Stanford guy. Uh, I, I, his, his, his future, you know, to me is, is limitless because mm-hmm. of uh, – uh, even before we saw what he did with Chase, so you know that's a, a, a you know pitcher, you know pitcher Troy Walters, uh, you know um, the uh, Craig Thorpe who's helping out uh, helping out Walters with the receivers. You know uh, you might want to get a good look at these guys <laughs> because uh, this is what happens when you win. Yeah. That's that's the tough thing about winning is can you keep your coaches. Final thing, a little bit of a change of subject. You've been working for the Bengals for quite a long time. You know Mike Brown extremely well. What was your initial reaction when someone told you in-house, hey, Jeff, I don't know if you heard this yet, but they're considering a naming rights deal? Yeah, I was. Uh, that, took me, that took me by surprise. But, uh, you know, the great Carrie Hobson, uh, a big fan of your podcast, she wanted to know what was going on. You know, and I said, well, I said, look at it this way. Uh, more money for Burrow and Chase. And, uh, okay. <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know what I mean? So, uh, I, I, you know, I mean, the thing about Mike is that, uh, and, I, and I have learned this since really I've known him, he, he's always looking ahead, you know. And, uh, hell, when he hired me, he was looking ahead. We had no idea. Nobody knew what it team website was going to do you know and now there's 32 of them so or 32 writers anyway but you know I think you know I mean I think he said it best really and you know Mike he's got a great he's got a great ability to sum something up sum something up in a few words and when he said he goes I'm sure you know he goes my father was all for doing what's best for the team Mm -hmm. so I think he'd be I think he would agree with me with this and I think I think he's probably right. I mean, this is a whole new, you know. There's stadium improvements. There's these monster deals. Um, you know, there's the indoor facility. I mean, these were not, you know, these were not uh, these were not issues when when the thing was named. So I think it, you know, I think it also it's just another example. Uh, if you if you put 
if you if you try to put a label on Mike Brown and do the Mike Brown stereotype, not a good idea because uh, he's usually a step ahead. Appreciate your time as always. Thanks, Butch. Horty, you're the best. Way to work. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast presented by Ultimate Bengals. Download Ultimate Bengals ahead of the 2022 season. It's free-to-play next-level fantasy football with fantastic Bengals prizes. Get it now on the App Store and Google Play. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.